Hello and welcome to the Headache Doctor podcast. I'm Dr. Taves and it's my mission to empower everyone with headaches and migraines to break free from a life of fear and dependence and thrive in everything you do. In today's podcast, we're going to talk about why the order of treatment or the order of providers that you see is important. And we're going to go through a few scenarios of where it goes poorly and what what that can mean for your health and uh, your decision making and ultimately the outcomes that are associated with that treatment. And then we're going to look at kind of my vision for what healthcare should look like, especially for you, the headache and migraine patient. So this is kind of what drives me in my career. When I think of, let's say I'm retiring at 65 and I want to know that I made a stamp on this world when it comes to healthcare and in particular headaches and migraines and what that looks like for that patient. This is the order of care is is a big deal. I want to change the access point for people with headaches and migraines into the healthcare system and then what that looks like sort of the cascade effect from there and the order of treatments meaning Big picture, we want conservative first. We want to know that we're hitting the the big low-hanging fruit. We're making sure we're assessing and evaluating the things that are going to be the most likely explanation for the patient's symptoms. And then from there, we can get into the weeds. What's happening right now is we're getting into the weeds first, and then we're staying in the weeds, and then you're living a whole life in those weeds and those weeds are providing you with medication that are basically just masking symptoms and we never actually discovered or looked at the root cause of the problem and so by the time I'm done with my career I want to have provided headache and migraine patients everywhere with the opportunity to see a provider to know enough about their headaches and migraines to know how to navigate the healthcare system, and then to have providers that are knowledgeable and able to treat these patients and evaluate that low-hanging fruit, the most likely treatable cause for their symptoms. And then from there, we can get into the weeds and figure out uh, what else may be contributing to those symptoms if that most likely explanation does not do the trick. So, what am I talking about? What what are the weeds? What is the most likely scenario? And what does that have to do with you? So if you're at home and you're dealing with headaches and migraines and you're listening to my podcast, what I want you to know or, or what I imagine your situation is, is that you go to a primary care doctor and they will prescribe you some sort of medication. Now, there's all different types of medication that a patient can receive, anywhere from just over-the-counter like NSAIDs to an opioid like a prescription painkiller um, to an anti-nausea drug if you're nauseous to an anti-anxiety, anti-depression, anti-seizure, all these anti-drugs depending on your symptoms. Uh, and then you can take preventative medications like a propanolol that is more intended for like blood pressure, but it has an effect on migraines. It's like a daily medication. Or you can take these abortive meds where you you find that window of two hours from when your symptoms start and you take the Imitrex or the Maxalt and you're trying to cut off the symptoms before they escalate into something that's more debilitating. That That is either done at the primary care doctor's office and if that primary care doctor feels like you are out of the scope of his or her uh, understanding or knowledge of your symptoms, they'll send you to the neurologist. And really the the 
primary care doc or the neurologist will go in one of those routes that I just described. And it's all medication-based. Uh, avoiding triggers is the other, other element of that. Botox is something that they can trial as well. I very rarely hear of surgeries or surgical interventions being done for patients with migraines. That is very, very unique, even within the the sort of Western medicine MD world. Um, so, and so typically it's, it's medication. And then since you start there, you start with the primary care doc, the MD. And when I'm, when I'm talking about this system, I'm talking about people that are well-intentioned medical doctors that want to help. They, they want to have a meaningful impact on your life. The patient, they see that you're suffering. Um, they're, I mean, occasionally there are doctors that I think are, are callous. They, um, are not caring. They're making decisions that are based off of sort of a selfishness or an arrogance or a pride. And those, those doctors, um, I, I hope that they see that and they're convicted of that and they change because we don't need people like that in healthcare. But we're going to assume that the well-intentioned primary care doctor, the well-intentioned neurologist is truly trying to help you. That's just, those are the tools they have in their tool belt. And so those tools can be of assistance for you with headaches and migraines, any type of headache and migraine. Those medications can reduce the frequency, the severity, the intensity of your symptoms. And that's really what they're promised to do. If you look it up on WebMD or the Mayo Clinic or Johns Hopkins, what they're saying is that the, the treatment plan for the headache and migraine patient the outcome that we're looking for is to reduce the frequency or intensity and intensity of your symptoms. So there is not a promise of an underlying solution. There's not a promise of a, this is causing it. We are going to solve it in this way. There's not anything necessarily that's objective that they're working off of. What that comes from is a series of, of trials, of clinical trials, of research that has been done using these medications and seeing how people with headaches and migraines respond to them. And so what happens is a patient with a certain type of migraine might respond better to a certain type of medication as opposed to someone that has like a tension type headache or a cluster headache. And so in some that we categorize people and come up with different diagnoses. Those diagnoses are basically just describing symptoms, and that describing symptoms is part of the problem because symptoms are subjective, meaning they're not tied to anything objective in, in that model that I'm describing. And because there's nothing objective, when you go to those same sites of Mayo Clinic, John Hopkins, WebMD, and you're, and you're doing your research, what they say is that they don't know the cause for migraines at this point. Now, there is some sort of speculation on some things. They've, they've traced it back to um, like this cortical depression, some, some chemical processes that are changing. They've done some sort of functional MRIs where they're looking at what the nerves and the neurons in the brain are doing during, an, during a, a migraine, and they see changes in that stuff. But the question we have to ask ourselves is does it make sense for those things to cause pain? Does it make sense for those things to be the cause of the symptoms? And when I say cause, um, a correlation can be there. And I'm very comfortable with all of those findings. And what I do, I'm not anti the, that research. I'm not anti what they're finding. And I have sometimes I get in conversations with providers, and that's what I want 
I, I want them to understand that. I understand that that research is there and I'm not ignoring it. What I'm saying is that there's a correlation between those things and there's a cause that I am treating that makes sense and is helping 80-85% of the people I see. And the other 15%, um, I, I have sort of a, a theory on why those people aren't improving. But for the most part, lying majority of patients with headaches and migraines, there is an objective finding. Now that objective finding is difficult for the MD, the primary care doctor and the neurologist to find or discover because their training does not provide them with the skills, the confidence, the know-how to, to search that out, to seek that out, uh, to recognize dysfunction, to recognize when a joint's not moving the way it should. And this is not, uh, if I were talking to a medical doctor, I, I would hope that they would not be in disagreement with that statement. The physical therapist, in my training and every physical therapist, we focus on movement. We have three years of training, just figuring out how the body moves, seeing what when it's wrong, being able to evaluate that and then restoring it. That's all we do. And so the medical doctor is trained on the pathophysiology, the the ins and outs of like at the cellular level, what what's wrong with uh, with the body and these systems, and how do we get back to what's called homeostasis? So homeostasis is the the systems functioning normally again, and just one of those systems that the the MD world is not as proficient in is the musculoskeletal system and how it moves. So you might think an orthopedic surgeon would know uh, about the neck and how to evaluate the neck. Well, the line majority of orthopedic surgeons are relying on the x-ray and the MRI and the CT scan, which again are still images. So not saying that orthopedic surgeons don't understand how the body moves. They understand biomechanics very well. And oftentimes they, they can know biomechanics better than uh, physical therapists. But as far as applying a conservative approach and treating that biomechanical problem in a conservative manner, is not it's not what they've trained to do. They've trained to do surgery. And so they're naturally not going to be as inclined or geared in their evaluation to look at it like a physical therapist would. So in our current system, the medical doctor in many, many situations is seen as the starting and the ending point, and oftentimes everything in between is with the MD as well. And for the history of physical therapy, something that we in the past 15, 20 years have been trying to get out of is this sort of medical model where the MD directs every step of the patient's care, and the physical therapist is just seen as a treatment that the MD can prescribe. So maybe it's they prescribe medication, and if they deem it necessary, they'll prescribe physical therapy. So that's, in, in I guess, a perfect world where the MD understands and can evaluate appropriately and, and uh, knows the movement like a physical therapist does, that makes sense because they're basically delegating a treatment approach, but they're the ones doing um, the evaluation or the, the, the triage. And so that triage... Uh, rarely results in the proper channel. So the primary care doctor rarely will, will get that diagnosis correct and then send off to the uh, you know appropriate PT. Or maybe their, their image of what physical therapy is has been kind of tainted because 
they've sent patients off to physical therapy and there haven't been the results that they've wanted. And so they've kind of abandoned physical therapy as an option. And so there, there's kind of, there's problems all over the place. There's lack of trust between the medical doctor and a physical therapist. There's lack of quality of care of the physical therapist. So then the, the medical doctor lacks trust. And then our system is just relying on the primary care doctor to know how to evaluate those things and make the decisions. So what happens is the primary care doctor will see the patient and just do a basic like range of motion exam on the neck when someone has headaches or migraines just to kind of screen for the neck. Now if I do that on my patients, probably 90% of the time it will be fine. You'll be able to turn your head. You'll be able to look up and down and side to side. And so to the untrained eye, it looks normal. And this is what's happening is people are going to the primary care doctor and the, the doctor is basically screening for the patient's neck, but the screen is not specific enough. And, the, and that doctor is not trained in these, these fine movements, these compensation patterns, and the specific upper cervical spine and what should be happening there. They're not trained on that well enough to rule it out. But the problem is that they are ruling it out. And when they rule it out, it's a prescription for medication, and then it's, just, it's sending you to the neurologist. And so when you get to the neurologist, by this point, many patients cannot fathom that someone like a, a simple PT that's just going to like work on your neck can solve your problem. And because migraines are so debilitating, and these neurologists have so much training and so much poured in their lifetime money effort into this problem of solving migraines, it's hard for the, the neurologist to step back and say, oh yeah, there might be something I'm missing. And it's hard for the patient to understand why they would miss something. And so I'm empathizing with the patient in that scenario where you think, man, I, I've seen the best neurologist in my state, or maybe I've flown to the Mayo Clinic or Johns Hopkins, and I've seen the best neurologist in the country, and they still have not provided me with an answer. What is this physical therapist that's on a podcast or that's in Colorado who just has a small clinic? What is he going to do that's going to be different? Or how is he going to have an impact when they've done X number of MRIs and X number of CT scans, and I've been trying this, and I've been trying that, and I've seen the neurologist, and I've been trying these meds, and there's no hope for me. And how could someone with such a simple approach provide that hope. And that's why I get back to the order of treatment. Because when you get lost in those weeds of going down from the primary care doctor to neurologist to maybe several neurologists, maybe they send you to another specialist, you get to the point where you you can't, the patient and then the, the, the providers that are providing your care assume that all of those basic things have been looked at. And when I say basic things, I mean just that quick neck screen in that primary care doctor's office, and then when your neck is moving well, then it's just assumed it's not a neck problem. And then from there, you get further and further into the weeds, and it's really hard for a provider to be like, well, maybe we missed it at the front end altogether, and it truly is a neck problem. And for the patient, that gets harder and harder to believe the longer this goes on and the more debilitating it is, because the more debilitated we are, then what we want that type of intervention to match. So if you if you have seen 
provider after provider after provider, it would just make sense that you need to go see like the best and greatest doctor with the with the best and greatest and newest technology and some surgery that is so advanced that no one else has heard of it. And and what I'm selling you is is really just a basic principle that was missed on the front end. And so if we can reorder the plan of care for patients, and if patients with headaches and migraines can enter the healthcare system and see a provider, even if the primary care doctors are educated and know how to properly evaluate the neck, that would be fine. But a better scenario is there's, these patients are seeing a physical therapist who is trained in how to evaluate the, the biomechanics of the neck. They know how important the upper cervical spine is and the referral pattern into the head and the face that can happen. They know the connection between headaches and migraines and the neck, and then they know how to treat it properly. Now that right now is a very, very challenging thing to find. It's a challenge to find a provider that can evaluate the neck appropriately. And that that is such a big problem. I, I have that problem here in Colorado Springs. It's a problem when talking to people all over the country. And so it's if we can get that right, one, it'll provide people with hope because there's something objective on the onset. And then from there, even if that provider that's evaluating your neck, even if they cannot be the ones to treat you, you can have confidence that it's a neck problem. And then the patient is advocating for themselves and they have confidence. Yes, this is a neck problem. I just need to find the right provider. And so getting the evaluation right is huge because if we don't, then it's discouraging. You lose hope. You're trying medication after medication, which have their side effects. And it's taking its toll on the health of your body while maybe the medication eventually is causing headaches itself. And so you, you can develop a daily headache or you go so long that that pain that your brain is responding to to just becomes the brain becomes hypersensitive to it and it's actually it, it's research it's a physiological change that happens with chronic pain that our nerves actually adapt to that pain signal it becomes more efficient so the longer you're in pain the harder it is to treat because it becomes less of a neck thing and more of just your brain getting used to that pain signal and so that first interaction with a patient is the pivotal point that is key and we need to get that evaluation right as providers, whether that's a neurologist, a primary care doctor, or a physical therapist. And if we can get that right, then we can provide the correct treatment for that patient. This is the, like, the second problem, so part two of this problem. If we get the evaluation right, the assumption is that any physical therapist or any sort of like hands-on work on the neck will solve the problem. Now, that's a tricky thing because right now, most physical therapists are not familiar with what I'm talking about. They're not comfortable treating the neck. And this is true. I talk to physical therapists all the time, and they admit that there are some that are better uh, with their hands, and they're good manual therapists, and they'll, they'll do a better job. But as far as someone that's dedicated their career to helping people with headaches and migraines, that's kind of unheard of. That's not something that you'll find just down the street or doing a quick Google search. And if you do, please reach out to me and let me know uh, who that is and where you live because I would love to, to hear about that. But by the end of my career, that's the other thing that needs to happen is providers need to know how to treat this appropriately. So one, you get the proper diagnosis right away. And two, you're being treated. So honestly, I'm, I'm becoming more and more convinced that 
nearly every type of headache and migraine, if I can get that patient at the onset of pain, they can be treated effectively. Because the complications that occur usually come because of time in between the onset of pain and the time I get to see the patient. So those complications are that central sensitization, so the brain becoming more hypersensitive to the pain signal itself, so it's less of a neck problem and more of a brain sensory hypersensitivity problem. And the other thing that happens is this medication um, sort of rebound headache, this daily headache that comes about because of chronic medication use that is challenging to treat. And the third thing is that the problem in your neck, the longer it's there, the longer, um, the more that your body is going to compensate and get used to those compensation patterns. Those three things, I'm convinced, are the reason that patients don't get better when they come see me. But if I can get people early enough, um, closer to the onset of their pain, I think the outcomes of this type of care would be very, very high, like 95 plus percent. Right now, I'm probably hovering at 80, 85 percent success rate. It's those, it's that 15 percent of patients that just drive me nuts. They, they, they keep me up at night, and it's not because of them. It's just because I, I know I can help them, and I know that their body can get out of this. Um, but it's just being resistant to it. And I think that resistance is there because of the time that they've been dealing with this problem. There are some some other scenarios that I won't talk about, but uh, the reason I use those high percentages is not to talk in hyperbole because um, I, I honestly don't think it's hyperbole. It's because I want to prove a point. I want to to be clear on how effective this is. And I don't want you to rule yourself out because no one has been able to help you so far. I want you to understand that there may be something at the onset of treatment that was overlooked and that can still be treated appropriately. And if that means reaching out to me, I want you to do that. If that means reaching out to me so I can help you find a provider in your area, I want to do that. If it means you just continue to listen to my podcast and tell others of this podcast, then I want you to do that as well. And follow me on uh, on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok, and I'll continue to provide you guys with some exercises and things to do throughout the day. Um, so that's, that's the order of care, and that's why it's important and what my vision is for what I want to do with my career. And hopefully, by the time I'm finishing up my career, these things have changed. It's my mission to empower you, the headache and migraine sufferer, the ability to feel empowered, educate yourself so you can break free from fear and dependence, get off of medication, and thrive in everything you do. Thank you again for listening. I hope you stay tuned for next week's podcast. Hope you all have a great day.